Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys, I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. guys thanks for sticking with us this whole time we really really appreciate you guys and we just want to say real quick that we would love for you to patronize us as a patreon on patreon.com slash haunted re is that correct laney that is correct yes thank you so much for just listening and hanging out with us we really enjoy doing these uh, little episodes with us w- with us with you <laughs> we enjoy with it you with, and each with other ourselves. as well <laughs> <laughs> okay so today we are talking about lizzie droll rum, Liz- <laughs> droll rum. <laughs> droll rum. <laughs> actually let me start with this lizzie borden took an axe gave her mother 40 wax when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Ew. This is a well-known nursery rhyme, if you've not already heard about it. But it's been out for over a hundred years. Kids have been singing this nursery rhyme. That's so freaking creepy. It is really creepy. Like, ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, they all fall down. Which is about the plague. Yeah. And you're like, kids, why are you so creepy? Why so creepy? Why is rock a baby? Why is, why is the cradle falling? Yeah, that, that's another one. But a lot of people don't know more than just the nursery rhyme. And also, I think it's funny that Casey did the London Bridges Falling Down. He talked about that nursery rhyme and its origins. And now yeah. I'm doing that same thing. I don't know how, that. Obviously, we researched these completely separate. Yeah. But that's a lot of what people know about Lizzie Borden. And that's kind of where they stop. So this is the infamous Lizzie Borden house, which is still standing today at 232nd Street in Fall River, Massachusetts. Oh, I love a Massachusetts story. I know, Massachusetts. You got so much going on over there. I can't wait to visit you. You're so pretty and so spooky. You're so pretty. (laughs) So first off, I'm going to lay out the scene. And then secondly, I'm going to talk about Lizzie's character, who she was. And then we will get what happened at the Borden home on August 4th. 1892. So this all started, like I said, in Fall River, Massachusetts in 1892. Fall River was the highest producer of cotton textiles in the United States. There were 83,000 people living there at the time. The city was mostly built around the Quickishon River. And just so you know the spelling of that, that is Q-U-E. Q-U-E-C-H-A-N. Oh, I would never have pronounced that correctly. Yeah, I had to look up the pronunciation, but it's Quickishan River uh, because it provided not only water, but also energy for the cotton mills. So like many cities of the time, only a few people within the city held on to the wealth. Not radically different than the than today, but anyway, few families held the wealth within Fall River, and one of those families was, of course, the Bordens. Their family ended up in Fall River around the 1600s, so they were an early family there um, that showed up. So Lizzie Andrew Borden, yes, her middle name is Andrew, named after her father, who is Andrew Borden. I kind of like that. It's unique. I thought so, too. So Lizzie Andrew Borden, named after her father, was born on July 19th, 1860, to Andrew. 
Andra, Andrew, and Sarah Borden. Her sister was Emma Borden, who was about 10 years old at the time of Lizzie's birth. Sarah Borden died in 1863, her mother. So Lizzie was about three years old at the time. And she died of what they called uterine congestion and disease of the spine. Oh, that all sounds so painful. Yeah, anything uterine related sounds incredibly painful. So we don't know know exactly what uterine congestion was, but they possibly meant that as a miscarriage. Ah. So. And the disease of the spine? Is that I don't think that's that scoliosis? I, no. I, I, well, I say no. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Right. And, and that's just what we know. Uterine congestion and disease of the spine. What that meant was probably intentionally vague. Yeah, just hurts to walk yeah. and be, it sounds like. Yes, and, and just to breathe, yes. Um, so as Sarah was dying, though, uh, Emma promised her mother that she would always watch over Lizzie and take good care of her. And by all accounts, Sister Emma did just that. Andrew Borden, her father, remarried in 1865 to Abby Gray. Abby is who Lizzie was really raised by since Lizzie was only three when her mother Sarah died. But always prefaced everybody that Abby was her stepmother, not her mother. She corrected anyone who called her her mother. Lizzie really looked to her sister Emma as her sort of mother figure. She never really saw Abby for anything motherly. So Andrew purchased the home on 232nd Street in Fall River in 1872. So Lizzie would have been about 12, where he would live out the remaining 20 years of his life. It was originally a two-tenant building, I'm sorry, a two-tenant house that he renovated for his family. So the bottom floor was for one tenant and the second floor was for another, and both floor plans were identical. This is the development of duplexes? Sort of, yeah. Okay. But it's kind of, instead of like what we think of oftentimes with a duplex being side by side, it's up and down, kind of like how your last house was. Yeah. One tenant lived on the first floor, you lived on the second floor. Yeah. And it's kind of how you live now, except now you're on the floor, first yes. floor and they're on the second floor. <laughs> yeah, but it's I like hate hearing them walk around upstairs. Yeah, it was nice when you were upstairs. Sure was. At least they don't have a, a max scene. Yeah, true that. So the floor plan had um, in the front was a parlor, a dining room was in the center, the kitchen was in the back, and then there were two small rooms on the side. It's described as an interconnecting layout without hallways. Andrew came in and renovated the two-tenant dwelling into a family home. Lizzie's room was the dining room in the upstairs flat. Emma's room was directly across from hers. He took out the upstairs kitchen and made that space more like the master bedroom. Downstairs, he made the two small rooms into a large dining room. And what was the downstairs dining room was turned into the family sitting room. That's where Andrew will last be alive. Okay. Andrew Borden was living out the true American dream. His money was his. He earned it. He did not receive an an inheritance of any kind that made him wealthy. His father was a fish peddler, which I really liked. I really feel like we should go back to using the names peddler instead of just saying like salesperson. He was a peddler. Yes. Um, I'm a house peddler. Just FYI, I'm going to start calling myself that. Technology peddler? That doesn't sound as cool. (laughs) It's like future meets past. I'm a real estate peddler. Yes. Um, Andrew went into cabinet making, and then he worked his way up jobs to become the president of the Union Savings Bank and director of BMC Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company. Wow. He was a money guy. He was a penny pitcher pincher not pincher pincher to the extreme very frugal money 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 
He also was on the board of directors for two of the mills in Fall River. He had several uh, properties in the general area, general real estate properties. He was worth approximately $500,000 in 1890s, which today is over $16 million. Damn. So he was doing all right. But contrary to what his bank account may have said, He wanted to live a very modest lifestyle. He made sure his daughters were taken care of and well-educated, but they lived in a mostly immigrant neighborhood, which was pretty unique for the time because you... Most people flaunted their money. Right, they flaunted their money, or at the very least wanted to be in a nicer neighborhood, maybe a bigger house, but at the very least a nicer neighborhood. Or probably at the time, like an all-white neighborhood if you were white. Um, But they weren't living in an all-white neighborhood or where the wealthier people were living. They were living in an immigrant immigrant neighborhood. And this was not to the liking of Lizzie and probably not Emma. We know a lot more about Lizzie because of her situation, but she was also outspoken, unlike Emma. The home did not have running water upstairs like many other houses already started having. And by that, I mean the wealthier houses already had some running water throughout the house. Andrew didn't go for that. Um, He did make sure that they had the best central heating that money could buy because, you know, Massachusetts. They had one modern toilet in the home. Other than that, they might use... Bedpan? <laughs> I was going to say, like a bedpan, chamber pot, something like that. I, probably you use the toilet mostly. But a, just a quick tinkle, you got a little side bucket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I'm Andrew, I'd probably step outside to just go ahead and go pee. Yeah. That's what... Um, it's what my son Jack does. He just goes outside to pee. He loves being able to do that. I remember when our little brother Will did that and our stepdad was so proud of him. Oh, I know. He'd go like pee on the fence. <laughs> yeah, you got it, son. Yes. So funny. That's then, a boy thing. Yeah. We just don't Guys understand. are happy when they can just go outside and pee. Girls not so much love it can't. when it, you know, trickles down your sock when you're doing a squat on a camping trip. Yeah, trickling's not the best option. So Andrew Borden really didn't want to be flashy. He didn't want the big house or all the amenities that he could have afforded. He was considered a bit of a miser, very rigid and very set in his ways. I think a big part of that is what kept his relationship with Emma and Lizzie strained. Lizzie said of her father that he could be unkind to people and she worried that somebody would hurt him one day because of the way he spoke to people, which is a little ominous. Very ominous. A little foretelling. Ooh. Um, we gotta stop doing that. To, to sort of split the difference here, um, I think I would say he was a very stern man, but he was also very well respected in the community. I don't think a lot of a lot of people went out and said he was a bad guy. But there were a few times where I think he didn't make a spectacle of himself, but maybe embarrassed Lizzie and Emma a little bit with how rigid he could be and how stern he could be with people. He may not have been super popular because of that. And we can assume that there weren't a few fans of his, but were there people that wanted to kill him? There was at least one that we know of. So, Abby Borden, okay, this is the stepmother, one of the victims. Even though we know from Lizzie's perspective that this was just father's wife. That's that's all Abby Borden was as far as Lizzie was concerned. According to the Borden Murders book, people really um, didn't have much bad to say about Abby. She, They did say she was not much to look at, so not how I'd like to go down in history. Yeah, not at all. Um, she was very, I think when they said that, they just meant she was very plain. She was also not flashy. She wasn't wearing fine jewelry and dresses and makeup and getting her hair done. She was just a simple lady. Um, She was thicker set, and those who did know her or were very close to her 
did love her deeply. She did not have a ton of friends, but those that did know her were deeply shaken up by what happened to her. Her sister did name her daughter after her. So this was Abby's niece was also named Abby. So we know she did have a close relationship with her sister. We know she kept up with um, most of the duties in the home. Um, So she was taking care of the house. She stayed at home. Um, But there really isn't known... Uh, about what happened to her with like within the walls of the home other than being a wife and a stepmother there's really not too much we can say about her character we just don't know um assisting abby borden in the chores was bridget sullivan she was an irish immigrant that lived in the home she also went by maggie to the borden sisters so emma and lizzie called her maggie So I will probably refer to her as Maggie. Some things about Lizzie Borden to know, um, to just capture some of who she was before she went down in history as an axe murderer. She was very active in her church. She taught Sunday school to Chinese immigrants. So I say that as even though she lived in an immigrant neighborhood, I don't think she was anti-immigrant. I think she just wanted to live in in her means with with people that were like her in that way. Yeah. Um, But she did still do Sunday school and taught Chinese immigrants. Um, She was the secretary of the local flute and fruit and flower mission. Sorry, I tried to merge those words to flute mission. Fruit and flower mission and treasurer of the local young women's Christian temperance union. Um, And if you don't know what a temperance union is, that's like an anti-alcohol league. Remember, as we get into the 1920s era, this is uh, the time of prohibition. So into the 1890s, this was heavily a women's union and very anti-alcohol. She was considered good looking, probably would have had lots of suitors at her door. But this is what I think is interesting. There is something to be said for the fact that she was good looking. Her father had money, but they stayed in mostly an immigrant neighborhood and those daughters remained single. Why? I really, uh, again, this is not saying that Andrew or Abby in any way of any kind deserve to die. Let that be said, okay? I do not think that. But why were Emma and Lizzie not out there dating? Because Lizzie at the time of their death is 32 years old. Okay. For that time... She would probably yeah. be married and have a kid or two by now. Well, I it's, know like a lot in the old times, if if you're not either like kind of groomed to like go out and be dating, the dads seem to be like really sheltering of their daughters. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's an aspect since he was so stern. He was just like maybe really picky or yeah. like, I have money for you. You don't need to be doing anything. You don't need to find a man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I don't think that they wanted to stay at home either. I mean, especially Lizzie, like not even liking her stepmother who is home all the time and Andrew isn't. He's out working most of the time. It just seems like an interesting place to be. There was one reference, at least in the book, that said that Emma and Lizzie thought of their home as a sort of prison. That's sad. You think it's a prison, but... Do you, you don't have the ability to leave? I mean, that's just, I don't know. It, it, I could, I, I didn't find anything that said that they were forced to live in the house. Maybe it's very much like the movie The Village and they were told that there's like monsters and yes. weird Made stuff outside of their town. Ever leave. Yeah, <laughs> it, possible. So, of course, after the incident, which we're getting to, many reporters and investigators came around trying to learn about Lizzie's character. Most that knew her would say that she was reserved and mostly quiet. She was unlike many women. She didn't scream or faint to things that many, many other women would. <laughs> she didn't often faint. I, you know what? Because they made it seem like women faint. 
saying it all the time, <laughs> pre-1900, like, oh, I got the vapors. I mean, it's possible because there's so many layers and the heat, but, you yeah, know. Yeah, corsets. I've, I've only fainted twice in my life. Yeah, I fainted like four or five times in my life. It's very unpleasant. Oh, absolutely. But the times that it has happened has also been kind of a relief. It's kind of like vomiting where I'm like, oh, God, I'm so dizzy. I'm so dizzy. And then I faint. And I'm like, okay, well, that sucked. But because a couple of times I fainted, I did get hurt because you don't really control where you're going to fall. Remember that one time at the Verizon store I fainted? No. That sounds I'm pretty familiar. sure I was with you and uh, one of my high school friends, Megan. And I remember I, I was like at the counter and I was like, I was feeling a faint building because I was like getting more and more dizzy and lightheaded. And yeah. I felt like I was getting the cold sweats. And I said something like, I have to go to the car. And I started walking out to the car. And then right when I put my hand on the door, I just went down. And, oh, my gosh. And you were like, Ashley, Ashley. <laughs> and it was so weird because I knew I fainted and I could hear you, but I couldn't respond yet. And it was like it was like I was like swimming up to the surface of water or something That's where I'm so in crazy. my in my mind. I was like, I'm coming. Calm down. I'll be there in a minute. I'll be with you. I'm alive. BRB. And then I finally came to. Yeah, and I, sound, it's sounding more and more familiar. And I went to the doctor and she's like, I don't know. Sometimes people just faint. Yeah. Did you not eat? Did you have something? Weird? I don't know. It was very strange. It's so strange. I, f- I fainted at Mount Asia, which if you don't Mount know what that is, it's an arcade go-kart place um but i was i was like 21 going there for nostalgic reasons and i had the biggest carpet burn thing on my cheek forever but i did get hot ambulance guys that were trying to put me in an ambulance i was like no no thanks my insurance doesn't cover this (laughs) but i want to look at you like yeah go ahead and clean me up yeah can you take my heartbeat for the eighth time i just want to make sure it's still beating yes it's still there (laughs) so um yes so lizzie didn't faint when other women may may faint some people said that she just kept a very eerily calm composure sometimes but there were also enough reports that would kind of make you scratch your head about lizzie that described her with an uneven temper her high school i said high school i'm sorry her school principal I don't know if she was in high school, described her as a woman that was subject to, quote, I'm sorry, sub, quote, subject to varying moods, end quote, which is an interesting thing for your principal to say about you. She's subject to varying moods, like that girl's up and down. Yeah. Ultimately, though, the Bordens were altogether private people. They didn't make spectacles of themselves, so it was hard to tell outside of a few situations throughout Lizzie's life up to 1892 whether or not she showed signs of being capable of murder. I would say most people would say, no, she doesn't seem capable of murder. She may be hot-headed or, you know, stuff like that. That doesn't Mm -hmm. make you a murderer. We know she did not have much of a relationship, of course, with Abby Borden. She didn't call her mother or have any kind of pet name for her. She called her Mrs. Borden or Mrs. B. That's That's how she addressed her stepmother, (laughs) Mrs. Borden. Because I think that is how she saw her. That's my father's wife, and that's it. She's not a mother to me. She's just my father's wife. That's just funny that she called her by last name instead of first. Like, I can't imagine calling our stepmother. Well, I don't want to say her last name, but Mrs. V. Yeah. (laughs) So formal. That would be weird and somehow feels, like, disrespectful. Even though it's a very formal way to address somebody. Yeah. But Lizzie also never said that her stepmother was unkind to her she just did not like her again 
it's the 1890s. Maybe had she had, you know, an Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter or something, she would have said a lot more about her stepmother, but we really don't know. Because I really do question why Lizzie and Emma saw this as some kind of prison and they never left. Yeah. So I'm not saying like abuse or something happened there, but it, it is interesting. They never, whatever. They, they they weren't doing things that normal girls at their age would have been doing. Um, so in the book, The Borden Murders, Lizzie Borden and the Trial of the Century by Sarah Miller, which by the way is where most of our information source came from for today's episode. It says, Lizzie's friends, however, viewed the same traits in a different light. As they saw it, Lizzie's distinctive combination of frankness and fearless honesty created what one supporter called a monument of straightforwardness. I never shall believe, even were she convicted of the deed, that she committed it, her friend continued, unless she were to confess herself and then the marvel would be greater to me than she had concealed her act that she did it. That is her character. If she had a reason sufficient for herself for murdering those people, it would be like her to say that she did it and give her reason. So people felt like just because she's a straightforward, honest person that she's not likely of murder and if she were to murder them she would say i murdered them and this is the reason why all right is basically what that boils down to so one event really did trigger anger in lizzie though that we know of um and emma as well this was in 1887 okay five years before everything really went down abby borden's half-sister okay remember abby's the stepmother it was her half-sister birdie was left to pay $1,500 for a home that she couldn't afford. Abby's stepmother, her half-sister's mother, moved out of the duplex, leaving the financial responsibility to pay for their portion of the home on Birdie and Birdie's husband. Birdie could not... Her, like her husband, he was not making anywhere close to enough money to buy that home. Abby couldn't stand the thought that she was being kicked out of her home. Andrew Borden swooped in in their hour of need and bought the home for them and deeded it to Abby Borden. So basically bought the home, gave it to Abby Borden. So as long as she wanted her sister to live there, she could do that. Unfortunately, Lizzie, according to Lizzie, Andrew himself did not share this information with Lizzie and Emma. Lizzie said she was told by, quote, outsiders, and that information did not sit well with either of the Borden sisters. They were very upset that their father would do something so generous for his sister-in-law, but never really afforded them any kind of luxuries. And as far as we know, left them stuck in the house with Abby and Andrew all the live long day. All right. So they were pissed at the situation. So Andrew may be realizing that uh, he fooked up a little bit. He tried to ease the situation by deeding his father's home, the Borden sisters' grandfather, on Ferry Street to Emma and Lizzie. They could collect the rent on the home and they did so for the next five years. Five years. Only weeks before Andrew's death, he purchased the home back from Lizzie and Emma for $5,000. But the initial blow of Andrew's decision to buy Bertie's home for Abby to do with what she wanted was really tough a, a tough pill for the Borden sisters to swallow. It seemed like they went from tolerating Abby Borden and her family to now full-on resentment. It said that even in the streets, if they were to walk by anybody on the gray side of the family, which was Abby's maiden name, they didn't even respond to them. They didn't talk to them. They didn't make eye contact with them. That family was, by all intents and purposes, dead to them. Dang, I really want to know what, what this evil stepmother's up to. <laughs> like, I, yeah, why? there is something there. I, I don't know what it is. Are Lizzie and Emma irrational? I don't know. They could be. But it just feels like there, there are other things going on, and we don't know the full extent of everything, and we're just never going to. 
Yeah. So another maybe important incident happened in 1881, a year, I said 1881, I meant to say 1891, a year before Andrew and Abby were killed was a robbery. So Andrew went to the police station to report a a robbery in broad daylight in his home where his daughters and Maggie had been. The thief had stolen $80 from Andrew's desk, $20 to $30 in gold. $80 at the time, by the way, was like $2,000. So just kind of put that dollar amount into perspective. Okay. So twenty to thirty dollars in gold would have been under a thousand dollars. Got it. So twenty to thirty dollars in gold, Mrs. Borden's gold watch and chain, and horse car tickets, which just so you know what a horse car is, it's essentially their public transportation. A horse was carrying a cart that would be full of people. It, it looks like a tram or something. A little trolley and sand. Yeah, it is a like horse. a trolley. Yeah, except it being pulled on rails and by electricity, it was pulled by a horse. So there was a lot of speculation, though, that Lizzie had been the thief. It wasn't reported in the police investigation, but those horse car tickets were a perk given to Andrew Borden, so they were easily identifiable. Supposedly, Lizzie had been caught with those car tickets, but again, that was not put into the report. What maybe happened was that when she was busted, Andrew Borden just told the police to stop the investigation, and it was let go at that point. But what we do know is that Andrew installed three locks on the front door of the home and a lock to his bedroom, but he let everyone in the house know that he was going to leave the key sitting on the fireplace mantle. What's interesting about that is it seemed to people that he thought it was an inside job. Somebody in the house did this, and he was leaving a message to the culprit that, I let you guys know where this key is, and it's sitting right here, so I'm going to know it's you if you go inside my bedroom again and take anything. Yeah. So it was like both a, a test and a warning. So after this, the barn door was broken into twice. The only thing that was possibly of any kind of value in the barn were some pigeons. The pigeons were like their livestock. Um, some said that they were like pets to Lizzie, but we don't know for sure. We just know that some of these pigeons ended up on the kitchen table. It's so funny that pigeons today are just like so gross. They're dirty birds. That's their, that was a value back then. Yeah. Yeah. That was your livestock. So the day was Thursday, August 4th, 1892. Lizzie comes in from the, from the barn to find her father laying out on the couch in a pool of blood, having been hatcheted to death. His face was carved and bloodied. Lizzie didn't know if he was alive or dead. You could probably assume that he's dead, but I think walking into something so horrific at the time, you don't even really know what you're looking at. Yeah, definitely got to take shock into factor there. Yeah. In the house at the time had been Abby, Maggie, Lizzie, and Andrew Borden. Andrew came home early. He was at work that day. He came home early because he wasn't feeling well. He was. He went to the sitting room downstairs to take a nap on the couch and would never awaken again. Lizzie, of course, claims that she was outside in the barn and Maggie was upstairs taking a nap. No one suspects Maggie of the crime, but I do think it's a little odd that she was napping in the middle of the day and didn't hear anything. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, I think it's kind of weird she was napping, but maybe that's not weird. But the fact that nothing there woke her up is strange to me. I mean, you and I both take naps during the day. And I know when I was younger, I was such a heavy sleeper. Yeah, but this is also in the 1800s and Maggie works at the house. So it seems strange to me that she was... Why are you sleeping on the job? That's my thought. Maybe that's completely normal. But again, I just, I would think she would wake up from something like that. Especially because you're talking about days before you have cars rooming on the street, before radio and TV. So the house is probably pretty quiet. Yeah. So what the heck, like that didn't even, that didn't even rise you. Two deaths in the house and you're, doesn't even awaken you. Yeah. 
True. So when Lizzie comes upon the bodies, I'm sorry, body, she only saw her father first. She yells for Maggie, who comes running down the stairs shortly thereafter. And Lizzie tells her, go for Dr. Bowen as soon as you can. I think father is hurt. Now, again, we know Lizzie is unlike many women and is known to be calm and maybe even eerily calm. Her neighbor heard her and came by. The previous few days, the Bordens had all had stomach ailments from supposedly some bad milk. So the doctor and neighbors knew that they weren't feeling well and thought that maybe Andrew just took a turn for the worse, like he just got more sick. No one expected he had been murdered because that's not what Lizzie yelled out. Um, Lizzie said, I think father has been stabbed to death. And she had believed that one of his enemies had done that. Who his enemies are, I really don't know. She did talk, She did tell the police that there had been a heated argument with somebody, but she didn't know who that somebody was. Um, I believe she was upstairs at the time, and she heard him arguing with somebody downstairs, but she doesn't know who the person was. She just says it was a second voice, and it was unfamiliar to her. All right. The doctor looked around to see if anything was disturbed, because he realized when he ran in, he wasn't going to be able to save this man and this looked like a crime scene not obviously he wasn't sick from milk then he went to go feel andrew's pulse and he was still warm but there was no pulse so he it had not been very long since he was killed i looked it up the botter the botter the body cools about one and a half degrees every hour so we we have a pretty good idea i mean doctors would have a better idea you know we can tell when people are two degrees hot you know we're like oh yeah you're a little bit warm yeah so the fact that he was still warm makes me think it was still within maybe the hour that it happened so according to accounts from people that came to lizzie's aid she was in a state they'd never seen her in before they had a cold compress on her forehead they were trying to comfort her not completely even knowing what happened to andrew they just knew she was very upset and that something bad happened lizzie was resting her head on her friend's shoulders when she said Will somebody find Mrs. Borden? Lizzie told them Abby had received a note that morning saying that somebody was sick. So while she was out at the store to get meat for dinner, she was going to go check on this person. They basically said to her, if we knew where she was, we'd go find her and tell her that Mr. Borden was very sick. Lizzie said, no, I think I heard her come in. What's weird and of course, we can't begin to understand Lizzie's state of mind. Well, one, we've never been in that situation, but every person's different. So the whole thing's just kind of weird. But she said she heard Abby come in, but then when she saw what happened to her father, she didn't ask about Abby sooner. She didn't go yell or call for her. She only called for Maggie and then was like, hey, can someone go check on Mrs. Borden? That she just hadn't come up up in her train of thought. It was interesting. Yeah. And in case you're wondering, Abby didn't faint or go into hysterics when anything happened to her dad. She kind of seemed like in a dazed state of mind more than anything else like she was in and out of being able to be understood or like having any sort of like clear-mindedness or anything like that all right so we'll never really know why she never hollered for abby sooner or what her thought process was there but she repeated a little bit later i wish somebody would go find mrs borden maggie and the neighbor had to go past the sitting room again to pass mr borden to get to the stairs to go look for abby which might have been why they were avoiding looking for her in the first place because they didn't want to have to walk past the dead body so the doctor had to cover the body so that maggie and the friend could pass by and go look for mrs borden as the neighbor and maggie were walking up the stairs the guest room came into view remember there's no hallway so like every room is in complete view if the doors are open they could see to the other side of the bed and as they were walking up the stairs the bed and the floor were coming into view and they could see on the other side of the bed was abby borden laid face down in a pool of her blood and they believe 
she was in that room cleaning because this was the guest bedroom, not her bedroom. Um, She didn't been in there cleaning up after her Lizzie's uncle that had stayed with him the night before. Um, So they didn't continue to go up the stairs. They just yelled for help, somebody else to come investigate it. So at this point, the Fall River police came. The police for this time period were not ready for this, um, but definitely just police of the time. But Fall River, especially, it's a smaller town. It's still not New York or London. Remember, this is the reign of Jack the Ripper in London time. But policemen here definitely did not have the experience they needed to properly investigate this. Had it been today, there's a good chance we would find out who the murderer was. Uh, But murder investigate, murder Murder investigation, I made up one word. (laughs) Murder investigations in the 1800s was barely even a thing. So London at the time had started fingerprinting, but again, that was in the early stages. Fall River knew that was a thing, but they didn't believe it was legitimate. So there was no kind of like fingerprinting done. Okay. Some of the early suspicion here came came down onto Portuguese immigrants, actually. So one Portuguese immigrant was brought to the station pretty quickly because he cleaned out his savings account. And they thought, well, that's weird. Clearly, this guy's hiding something. You cleaned out your savings account, yeah. which was um, about $60. So that, and that was like a, my savings account. <laughs> was a, that was a, a significant amount of money at the time. I, I said $80 was 2000 I think 80000 was closer to, it was over $2,000. I think 60000 might have been closer to like the 1800 to 2000 range. Okay. Because uh, I got, I was confusing myself because I'm reading the book, which I think was like 10 years ago. So not that long ago, but inflation has gone up since then. So yeah. even those, I, I had to go back on a couple of the numbers on that too. Because I was like, no, that's not even going to be the same for this time. Of course, that didn't pan out because all the Portuguese immigrant did by the looks of it was take out their savings. It's not because he murdered anybody. After tons of questioning, suspicion starts to fall on Lizzie. Few others had any other motive. And based on the killing itself, it wasn't a robbery. And a revenge motive really couldn't be found because they tried to look into this person that Lizzie said she heard her dad yelling with, but Mm -hmm. they couldn't find who that was or any kind of motive for it. Was there any kind of like blood trail from the guest room to the living room? I don't think so. All right. So the story was, so her story and after hundreds of questions that they asked her was put together in a police report and here's how it was read. There were a few trifling chores to do that morning. Handkerchiefs that needed ironing, some clean clothes to put away, a bit of mending. The handkerchiefs lay ready and sprinkled on on little ironing board in the dining room. But her flat irons were not hot enough. As she waited for them to heat on the stove, Lizzie leaped idly through an old, yeah, through an old Harper's magazine. At the kitchen table, the house was quiet. Her father napped in the sitting room. She had just watched him fold his Prince Albert coat into a pillow and stretch out on the sofa. Her stepmother was upstairs making up the guest room, or perhaps by now, Down Street, which is just another word for downtown, uh, was Down Street doing one or two errands she'd mentioned to Lizzie earlier. Bridget, who's also Maggie, had finished washing the window and gone up to her attic bedroom to snatch a cat nap of her own before fixing dinner. Hey, why is Bridget also Maggie? What? Her name is Bridget. Her nickname is Maggie. I don't really know. She's Bridget <laughs> Sullivan okay. and nicknamed Abby. I don't really know where that comes from because I've only heard Margaret's called Abby. So yeah. maybe she's Bridget Margaret Sullivan. I don't know her middle name. All right. It just says that's what the Borden sisters called her. 
Lizzie grew bored with her magazine, and still the stubborn flat iron were not hot. She could not say what made her think at that moment of her fishing poles. She had not used them for five years or so, but a party of friends had arranged a fishing excursion on Monday, and it seemed to Lizzie that there were no sinkers or lines the last time she had used them. Perhaps she could find some lead or iron in the barn for new ones. It was something to do anyway while the slow flats heated. Lizzie left the kitchen and went out to the to the yard, leaving the side door unlatched behind her. The Borden's pears were ripe already, riper than the Cagnon's whole, whole orchard, just over the back fence. Lizzie dallied together a few from the ground beneath the tree of the barn before climbing to the loft. They were still cool from the night's chill. Their flesh sweet, they were their flesh sweet and light, not all like the mutton soup the family had been dining on since Wednesday noon. After the way she felt the day before, she did not even want to think about meat. She nibbled at one and then another as she straightened the curtain on the window in the West Peak, the one that looked down over the house. There she lingered for no reason in particular, munching on the last of her pears in full view of the side yard and screen door before crossing the loft to rummage through a box of old things on the workbench. And then, was that a noise? The window was closed. She had heard nothing out of the ordinary before, but now a peculiar noise. It seemed to Lizzie something like scraping or a groan. By the time Lizzie Bourne reached the screen door, it was wide open. Okay, so that was essentially what the police report read. So remember, there were three locks on the front door, so nobody could have gotten in that way. Mm-hmm. So it had to be somebody coming in through the back door or somebody that was already inside the house. But it even kind of said that Lizzie was looking out the window and she had a view of the back door. Not to say it was in her sight the entire time, but it would ha- it would have to be a very limited time that somebody could have gotten in the house and could have killed two people. So even in questioning her, quote, father and mother, Lizzie interjected to say, she's my stepmother. My own mother is dead. Under questioning, that seemed like a really odd thing to correct. Yeah. And it really didn't sit well with the the investigators. They did not like Lizzie's responses at all. They thought she was incredibly shady. The only reason why they were hesitant to put blame on her is because women in the 1800s did not hatchet people. She's a woman. She's not physically capable capable of axing anybody. For real. So that's the only reason why a lot of people were like, no, there's no way she would have done this. The only way that women kill people in this time period is through poisoning and she didn't poison anybody she this this was a hatchet job so it's <laughs> the only way they do it is poison yes so. women only poison they're not going to physically kill anybody because women are so physically weak yeah um and you have to wonder like if if she did kill them like is she that dumb to where she would let it slip that she clearly hated her stepmom or is that showing proof that she didn't do it because why would you show that you clearly hate your stepmom under this yeah it's all really interesting but again really stereotyping women of the 1800s it also struck them very odd that she didn't shed any tears why are you not crying or upset at least for your dad at least for your dad but again it goes back to some people don't cry first of all murderer or not something was going on in that house yeah. She had some kind of strange relationship with her dad and her stepmom. She resented them. I think we're positive of that. But I just, I don't know if we're ever going to know if there was what. Yeah, what even the, if she didn't do it, she probably felt some kind of relief that they were gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it seemed like to me is that I didn't do this, but I'm not upset either that they're, they're gone. So the book continues. Lizzie stood by the foot of the bed and talked in the most calm and collected manner. 
Her whole bearing was most remarkable under the circumstances. There was not the least indication of agitation, no sign of sorrow or grief, no lamentation of the heart, no comment on the horror of the crime, and no expression of a wish that the criminal be caught in all this. And something that to me is indescribable gave birth to the thought that was most revolting. Lizzie Borden officially became the prime suspect. And this is where we're going to end for part one. Ooh, I didn't know it was a two-parter. It is a two-parter. It's our first two-parter, you guys. Oh, my gosh. I felt like I went into 14 pages just leading up to the murder that I, you know, this isn't a bad place to stop. Not so, at all. Anyway, we will be back for part two next Tuesday. And thank you for listening. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely day. Um, catch us at Instagram at haunted.real.estate. And if you would like to patronize us as a Patreon, not really to patronize us, that is at patreon.com backslash hauntedre. Catch us there because we need to pay for some good pot equipment. Thank you, guys. We love you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.